Test, 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 test. Hello, welcome to How to Write a Novel. So I'm uh, a little under the weather, feeling a little bit sick, where it's just sort of... I always feel disconnected from my body when I'm sick. Like, I can't really tell when I'm hungry. Oh, there's a jet skier going by. That dude's not sick. He's fucking loving summer. <laughs> but yeah, I can, uh, it's hard to tell when I'm hungry. It's hard to tell when I'm full. Drinking booze, drinking coffee, it all just kind of, it's weird. It just doesn't get through. <laughs> but anyway, just drinking coffee today. Drinking a bunch of coffee, trying to fight through it. But my throat's not sore and I'm not coughing right now, so that's good. So I thought let's just do a little bit of a lower energy podcast just to get my mind off things, you know? Let's just record. I got some stuff I was thinking about. Let's just do a little podcast. Back in the day, too, when I used to do this podcast, you know, the first 50 episodes were daily. So every time I had a little thought, I just recorded it. Now, uh, you know, I feel like the, the bedrock is done. The groundwork is there. I've said kind of what I have to say at this point. I'm mostly just repeating myself, you know, mostly just chronicling the never-ending process. Because, you know, that's the thing with writing, is that the mechanics of it are boring. You know, you just write every day and that's it. But within that boring routine, you write super... It's like fun and exciting because you're exploring inner worlds and shit, you know? But I don't want to put out tons of episodes because, yeah, like I said, it's like the groundwork's there. I got to uh, actually finish some fucking books at some point, you know? So I try to only put out an episode every week or two. Just slowly add to the catalog. But, uh, but the thing is, sometimes I have thoughts and ideas I want to talk about. But if I wait too long, they just, the spark is gone a little bit. You know, I just don't feel the urge to talk about them anymore. So I don't. Well, like here, let me just, I guess I'll spit this one out. Because it, it relates to what I want to talk about anyway. But uh, a few episodes back when I was talking about that anime, Your Name. And the idea that uh, there's like this Japanese form of storytelling that is about, you know, it's like aggressively slice of life, you know. Just little little moments, little idiosyncratic moments and how much I like that stuff. And how I wish uh, North America had more like that. Because I feel like North America tends to uh, vacillate between extreme action or extreme aimlessness, <laughs> you know? There doesn't seem to be a lot of purposeful downtime in North American stuff. And I really like that, but I was thinking how that Japanese style where it's like, you know, like the chicken soup for the soul type of thing, like it's trying to display little moments to be calming, you know, to like give people a, a pleasant sense of life to just kind of like you've had a rough day, your life is stressful. Here's a story that will soothe you, you know, like that's sort of the idea. Obviously, that's not all that they do, because on the other end of the spectrum is like fucking Dragon Ball, where you spend 60 episodes on one world shattering battle. But it is something in the arsenal of Japanese storytelling is this idea of calming stories and I was thinking like with this novel I'm writing in particular about the rhino girl on the alien space station who 
is this depressed, crazy war orphan that is eventually gonna fucking blow the thing up. If you just say it like that on the surface, it sounds like an action story or uh, an angry story or, you know, a, a hyped up, like, I'm an angry, crazy rhino and I'm gonna blow up a space station, <laughs> you know? But the reality of the story is that it's really low key and really low on action and really big on being alone and little moments on the station and conversations with literally just one other person. And I'm hoping that it isn't boring, you know? I'm hoping that through these little moments I can build a sense of life and a sense of the internal landscape of this character. And I was thinking that, that after I learned about this, this Japanese storytelling method, Iyashike, I think it's called, that it's trying to build a pleasant sense of life. I was thinking like, maybe that's a way I could describe what I'm trying to do with my novel is I'm trying to do that, but in a negative way. Like I'm trying to build a sort of slice of life tableau, a little diorama that you can look down into, but about a negative character, about a negative sense of life, about a negative experience. And the way I was thinking about it, this is really kind of melodramatic, but, but this is kind of how I was thinking about it, is it's probably going to be a pretty long book. Like, I never pay attention to word counts. I don't think that's important. I feel like that's a topic I should get into again at some point because people are so obsessed with word counts, and I can't imagine how it matters. I can't imagine how word count is important to anyone at any stage unless you're actually the publisher and you actually care how many words are in a physical book that you're printing. Other than that, like, I feel like word counts can only fuck you up. They can only make, they can only distract you from trying to write the best scene that you can on that day. It doesn't matter how many words you wrote. It doesn't matter how many words you wanted to write. I feel like all of that is just distracting from trying to write something good. But despite the fact that I don't care about word counts, just inadvertently, this book is getting very long. But I want it to be long and I want it to be a slow burn because the idea is I want to ease people into the mindset of this character. I mean, this character is an actual alien, you know? And the idea, if I can pull it off, this is a lofty goal, but the idea is like, as you read this story, it's like you're in a tank and I'm just slowly filling it with water and slowly filling it with water and it raises to your ankles and it raises to your knees and it raises up to your chest and it raises to your neck until you're eventually, you're like, I'm about to drown in this. this. This sense of life, this tone that's being presented, this spending time inside the mind of this character, it just won't stop, you know? It's like never ending. It's this long fucking book that won't stop presenting this one particular view of the world to me until you drown in it, <laughs> you know? I wanted to by the end, it's over your head. You're drowning in it. And then hopefully, if I did everything just right, the idea is you'll breathe in, you'll breathe in the liquid and you'll realize that you're not gonna drown, that you can breathe this stuff. That the mindset of, a, I mean, a terrorist seems like the wrong word, but I guess, you know, of a the mindset of a crazy, destructive, fucked up person 
it isn't just necessarily bad, you know? You don't have to burn the cleanest fuel to progress in life, <laughs> you know? You can burn the worst diesel fuel and spew out fumes behind you and fuck shit up. And it's not healthy for you and it's not healthy for the people around you, but it'll still move you forward, you know? And that's, that's what I want to present. I want to present a negative slice of life. I don't know why I want to do that. That's just how I feel deep on the inside. That's the weird thing I want to do. Not with all my books, but with this book. And it's nice to be able to be able to describe it. As weird and strange as this description is, and the fact that I don't have a word for this, I don't think there is a word for this, what I'm trying to do exactly. But it makes me feel more confident in it because like, you know, every once in a while I get off on these rants about like, oh man, if people, I don't want to hear about other people's opinions. I don't want to be edited. I don't want fucking beta readers. I don't want anyone to tell me shit. I want to write the story I want to write. And, you know, I get defensive about it because I feel like I'm doing something weird that is not a three-act structure normal thing. It's not, you can't just plot this thing out of what, well, like, what I'm trying to do is weird and maybe ill-advised, <laughs> you know? And I would get all worked up about it because I just feel like there's something strange that I'm trying to do. And whether it works or it doesn't, I would rather do what I want to do and have it fail than try to make it more conventional and have it be more successful. You know, like, again, I'm just probably making up scenarios that don't ever exist and aren't real. But I felt, like, um, defensive about it because I couldn't explain what I was trying to do. And it's nice that through this, through just exploring other people's stories and learning about these different things, it's like I, now at least I can explain it. Whether people like it or not, whether people want it or not, whether it's the worst idea in the world, it's nice to be able to explain it a little more. And it's like, here's why I don't want to change it. Here's why <laughs> I know what I'm trying to do. And I just feel like no one else can know because it's not a normal thing that I'm trying to do here. Not like I'm super unique. It's not like it's never been done or something, but it's certainly not common. Anyway, I'm glad I got that out because yeah, I had that idea <laughs> like a month ago, but I didn't record the podcast and uh, I thought I'd lost the spark for explaining it, but just explaining it there, I'm like, yeah, I'm just glad I got that out there. Maybe that'll make sense to somebody. Someone out there will think like, oh, maybe that's something I'm trying to do too, or that's something I'm interested in, or like, that's maybe useful in some way. But okay, speaking of that stuff, so I learned about that concept, Iyashike, the quiet, gentle moments in Japanese storytelling because I watched that anime, Your Name, and then I went to the YouTube channel Beyond Ghibli. I think I said Beyond Ghibli. You know, Studio Ghibli. I don't know why it's a soft G. Everything in Japan is a hard G. Evangelion. <laughs> you know, why, why is Ghibli a soft G? But anyway, Beyond Ghibli is a good YouTube channel that recommends cool anime. He's the one that talked about that. So yeah, he did a video about Your Name, and then the follow-up to Your Name, it's this cartoon called weathering with you. So I thought, all right, obviously I liked your name so much. Let's watch the follow-up by the same director. And man, it was such a downer because I hated it. I legitimately hated it. <laughs> I really didn't like it. Because it's just the definition of melodrama where 
you know, your name was very dramatic. It's this story about body swapping and that was like the fun wacky part and then it turns into this sudden drama all of a sudden of like oh my god this fucking person we've been body swapping with is actually died has died three years ago and now it becomes this drama unexpected twist but they pulled it off and the other movie weathering with you it's sort of like that but it just sucks god it sucks i hate it so much <laughs> fucking hate it because because it really just comes down to melodrama, you know, like unearned drama. I don't like that to, to an extreme degree, I don't like that. Like I want dramatic beats, like this is where it's like, maybe I'm, maybe this is some kind of sign of just my weird personality or whatever, where I really feel uncomfortable by overly dramatic scenes. You know, I literally look away from the screen where I'm just like, ugh, this just feels so, so wrong and so bad. I feel like I'm being manipulated, like some someone's trying to pull the little fucking puppet strings in my heart, but they haven't earned it. And I hate it. I hate it so much. And that's totally what Weathering With You does, where it's this just bizarre premise that has no, no setup, no explanation, just there are these things called sunshine girls who, when it's rainy, they can make it be sunny but in exchange for that power their life force is slowly drawn out of them until they're basically taken away up to the clouds for all intents and purposes they are dead you know like that's how they treat it it's like oh it's so cool you got this power but oh it's gonna it's gonna kill you it's gonna take you out and that's it that's the whole premise of this story is this weird scenario that you're just expected to accept and then care about and it's just for two fucking hours they're just hammering you with this dumb shit of just like oh no you used your sunshine power too much and now you're almost you're almost you've almost disappeared oh no the drama and the fucking no oh, it's so horrible and it literally got to the point where I had already checked out of this thing at this point where it's like they've just been hammering me in the face with this stupid melodrama. And it's like, this can't get any worse. And then it, it literally got to the point where this kid in this story, his, this girl that he knows, has used her sunshine power too many times and has disappeared up into the heavens. And he's pulled a gun on the police and the police are all holding guns on him while he literally screams about how they won't let him go try to reunite with the sunshine girl it's it's if you look up melodrama in the dictionary you could just show that scene it's like this is so heightened and so intense everyone's literally in a mexican standoff because of the magical premise of the sunshine girl which was not compelling and uh, in the first place <laughs> and now this guy's holding a gun to the cops and screaming at them i hate it it's terrible god it's fucking terrible what a piece of shit and it's so disappointing because it's like god damn your name was so good and weathering with you is so bad <laughs> but it looks beautiful it's like amazingly animated it's obviously very high budget but it's like I said before, the symphonic blank stare, you know? It's big, it's beautiful, it's blank. There's nothing there. There's less than nothing there because it like made me like annoyed. 
it made me mildly angry to watch this thing where I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Why are you trying to manipulate my little heartstrings like this with something this poorly developed and this meaningless? Like there's no, I'm a big fan of metaphors, you know, like, like I think that's the difference with the scenario in your name is obviously weird and bizarre and magical but it has a lot of metaphorical resonance. It has a lot of deeper meaning to me and obviously to other people because it's hugely beloved. I always think of, you know, like they don't have to be complicated metaphors either. Like uh, I always think of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you know, like that classic thing of high school is hell. And in Buffy, their high school is literally on a gateway to hell. And especially in like the early seasons, weird stuff would happen. Like this one girl got ignored so much in school that she literally turned invisible. You know, that's fine. I'm into that stuff. I don't need it to be clever or complicated. Or uh, Ginger Snaps is like one of my very favorite movies about a pair of sisters and one of them is turning into a werewolf slowly. And like that's what happens when your sibling turns into a monster, you know? And it's literal in that case, but like it resonates so much with me because my brother is schizophrenic and turned into a monster, you know? But watching an actual movie about schizophrenia is not pleasant. Whereas watching a movie about a werewolf is exciting and still can resonate with you, you know? But that's the problem. Weathering with you, there is no metaphor. It's literally, it's raining all the time. This one girl can make it stop raining, but if she does it too much, she's gonna disappear forever. That's so fucking stupid. <laughs> that is so lame and so pointless. Ugh. And they, yeah, just like are trying, just leaning on it so heavy of like, care about this, care about this person, care about this situation. It's a big downer. And it's, it's interesting to me when that happens, you know, like when someone makes something amazing by accident, you know, and you can only tell through their future work that it was an accident. Like in this case, your name probably meant more to me and to all these other people that love it than was intended, you know, like the dude who made it was probably not intending to pluck this one obscure abstract string inside people's souls you know this weird feeling of melancholy and nostalgia and like lost lost futures you know or like like a nostalgia for things that didn't happen it's just it's a bizarre complicated weird feeling and that might have been a bit of an accident you know maybe that's not even what he was trying to do it just happened that way I don't know, I mean, I wonder, how much of an accident could it have been? Because my whole podcast about that movie was about how subtle the final scene was. And then, yeah, Weathering With You has zero subtlety at any fucking point. The whole thing is just a sledgehammer in your face. It's so shit. It's the Dragon Ball Z of fucking drama. But who knows, like, maybe it was, like, an accident, because his one thing was so great, and then his next thing was so shit. And I've seen that happen before, like uh, Donnie Darko is a great example. I really like Donnie Darko. I didn't understand it the first time, I just felt something. It resonated with me in this weird way. And then as you dig into it more and more, it's like an interesting puzzle you can try to, to solve, but it's unsolvable. 
but it's just great. It just is accidentally great. And you can tell it's an accident because when you read interviews and listen to the commentary and then watch that guy's other movies, they're just fucking nonsense. You know, it was like accidental that it was so good. Or uh, the movie American Beauty. I read the script of American Beauty and it has a different ending where the two teen characters literally get arrested for a murder they didn't commit and get thrown in jail at the end. It's like, wow, what a fucking garbage ending. That would have literally ruined the whole movie. But that's what the guy who wrote it, that's what was, that's what he was thinking, <laughs> you know? All the weird abstract stuff going on in that movie was just kind of an accident. It wasn't really what he meant to do. And his next thing was like true blood, <laughs> you know, like so stupid. Or uh, in video games, there's this really famous video game called Bioshock that it's really weird. I replayed it a few years ago and it's like, it's 50-50, you know? It's like 50% really amazing, clever, forward-thinking stuff and 50% really stupid. But again, it's it becomes clear later that the good stuff was kind of an accident because his follow-up game, Bioshock Infinite, is 100% stupid. It's just a piece of shit. It's like everything that was good about Bioshock is missing from Bioshock Infinite and he just leaned completely on the 50% that was just dumb Twilight Zone twists and stupid lame crap and just fucking awful. It's fucking awful. I hated that so much. So I don't know. That's just a weird thing that when... I mean, if something is great, I guess it's great, right? We should just be thankful that it ever came to be. But it is very strange when it starts to become clear that it wasn't intended, that it was just an accident. I mean, maybe there's something to that, you know? Maybe greatness is an accident. Maybe you can't plan for it. Maybe you just gotta get lucky, you know? Like, you put in the work and you do the best you can, but to get to that legendary level, maybe things have gotta, like you've gotta fuck up in just the right way <laughs> that whatever dumb shit you were trying to do failed, but failed into something that means more to people, you know? And I don't know how you could ever plan for that. That just happens. I guess all you can do is just keep working and keep making things and keep progressing and putting out stuff and hoping that something you make hits that legendary level. But yeah, maybe you can't plan for that. Maybe that's just a happy accident. Strange. But anyway, so that was disappointing because, yeah, your name I liked so much, but it's like, all right, following this particular trail of this particular guy. Maybe someday I'll go back and watch his older stuff, but I was so turned off by weathering with you, just like so much that it, it makes me like your name less, you know? It's like I just need to forget about weathering with you so I can go back to liking your name because it sucks so fucking hard. So, okay, if I'm a truffle hound, if I'm, if I'm a bloodhound, if I'm on the search, I'm like, okay, there are amazing things specifically in this case in Japanese manga and anime. I found one I really like. I tried to follow that trail and it went cold right away. So forget about that. Forget about that guy. Forget about his other work. Sadly, he sucks. <laughs> he made one amazing thing, maybe slightly by accident. Because there's this weird quote too where he's like, ah, your name's not that great. I wish people would just stop going to see it over and over in the theater. I wish people would stop praising it so much and then he makes this follow-up movie and it's a symphonic blank stare it's like buddy buddy ah oh, it seems like you suck it seems like you suck how did you make this one thing that was so good anyway so forget him 
But that Studio Ghibli channel, they pointed me in a different direction. Instead of following the straight line forward or backward through that one director's work, let's go lateral. They did a video about another Japanese cartoon called A Silent Voice. And what is interesting there is it came out the same day as your name. And the guy just did a little five, six minute little video essay about how strange that is to come out the same day as the most famous anime of the modern era because you get so, so ludicrously overshadowed, you know? Your name is like one of the top grossing movies of all time. What about the other movie that came out that day? Like, whew, that's, uh, that's a tough hill to climb. And the argument this guy made is like, it's especially weird because this movie is so good. But he mentioned that it's based on a manga, on a comic book, and that the, the movie version is a bit truncated, is a bit cut down, and he recommended, if you can, to go read the comic first. And I like comics better anyway, I just prefer comics to movies. I like reading things at my own pace, I like absorbing information in my own pace, you know? I don't actually like movies all that much. So I haven't actually seen the movie of A Silent Voice yet, but I have read the comic and man, 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 it is good. It is a fucking plus. It is so good. And it's like, man, <laughs> like it was worth it stumbling around in the dark and fucking sitting through the painful torment of weathering with you to find these other things, you know, to get, it's like, all right, it worked. The, the Bloodhound Trail worked. I did find something else really good, but just not in that direct line. I had to go lateral with it. So I'm going to talk about uh, the comic book version. I, of course, recommend the comic because that's what I read, but I'm sure the movie's good too. I'm going to watch it eventually. I just don't want to rush into it. You know, I don't want to just burn through this. I'm going to give it a few months until, you know, just I like knowing that it's there for me. It's like this thing that I know I'm going to like that is sitting there waiting for me. But let me tell you a little bit about this comic that is... Presumably the movie is roughly the same. It's about a deaf girl. Not fully deaf, but like, you know, pretty deaf. Can hardly hear. She transfers to a new elementary school and she gets bullied like crazy. And this one kid in particular is just a real piece of shit and just bullies the fuck out of her. And I love the time that they take in Japanese comics. Like this thing is like seven volumes and each volume is like 200 pages. It's a pretty long read. So like the whole first volume is basically this kid getting bullied and it's brutal. But then the dude, the main bully kid, he's such an asshole that like his, his class kind of turns on him and is like, Jesus, you asshole. Like, yeah, we're all annoyed by the deaf girl. She's fucking up our shit and ruining our school choirs and stuff. And she's just annoying and we're dumb little kids, so we don't like people that are different, but you're really an asshole. So like they turn on him, <laughs> you know? And eventually the deaf girl transfers schools, but, but now the bully kid is the one being bullied. And, and it's like, you think like, then there's no way I could like this guy. What a fucking little asshole. But they do a really good job of explaining his mindset and where he's coming from, just the weird kind of person that he is and why he is like this. And then just the crushing, just brutal social exclusion of, from that point on, from elementary school, all through junior high, up into high school, 
he's just a social pariah because he's the guy that would literally like steal the hearing aid off the fucking deaf girl and break it multiple times like he's such an asshole that everyone is like fuck you dude and he's so completely isolated and just like man he like pays for it a fucking hundred times over to the point where he's gonna kill himself he's just like what the fuck is my life what is this shit particularly in like such a uh I mean, it'd be tough in any society, but in a sort of collective society like Japan, that this guy's just been completely excluded for years. And especially when you're a kid, like, just brutal. It must just be brutal. So his whole thing is he's got the day he's going to kill himself. And there's these details. It's weird because it still looks just like a normal manga. If you opened it up and flipped through it, it doesn't look that different from from any other Japanese comic. It's the same kind of style, it's the same kind of artwork. It doesn't seem like it's gonna be this really in-depth character study of just like psychological trauma, (laughs) but he's got this, this calendar that he's just, he's like decided the day he's gonna kill himself and he's ripped the rest of the calendar off, just carefully torn along the boxes on the calendar. So there's just a day that the calendar ends and that's it. And the only plan he's got is he's learned sign language and he's going to go find the deaf girl from when he was a kid and apologize to her and kill himself. And it's like, man, this is... That's one reason why I like comics better than movies is I can't imagine just rushing through this story in like a two-hour period, you know, and just like, here it is, all in your face. Because that is so brutal, you know? Like, I just, when I got to that point, I think I just, like, didn't read it for a few days. I just put it down, because I'm like, this is nuts, dude. This is so heavy. This is so brutal. But again, not melodrama, not unearned. Like, they earned the shit out of this. Like, we had, we spent a whole volume of this comic watching him bully this girl, and then watching everybody turn on him, and him be bullied, and his whole fucking second half of his childhood was just a goddamn disaster and it's like yeah it's not crazy that he would want to kill himself it's not at all it's it's so harsh and so brutal and i'm just like holy shit what is this comic you know like this is tough to read but not in a bad way just in like because it's so affecting and so well done and long story short you know i won't spoil stuff that happens but basically the girl he bullied, he doesn't know if she'll want to talk to him or if she'll accept any kind of apology. But she does because she... I'll say a little bit about her too. Just Basically though, she does accept his apology and then just through hanging out with her, he doesn't kill himself. It's like, okay, here's something I can do. I can Maybe I can redeem myself or make up for my past. Because this girl is still kind of isolated and has lost track with all her friends from when she was a kid and stuff. He's like, maybe I can just, like, get the gang back together, you know? Like, the kids she used to know back in school, maybe I can help her reconnect with her old friends. Or maybe, maybe I can do something to help this person and to make my life be less fucking worthless. Like, man, it's hard to even talk about. It's so, ugh. <laughs> it's so good. And yeah, it's funny, I don't know, it's like, I mean, I guess it's the same with any culture, you know, it's like, obviously we have our good movies and our bad movies, our good comics and our bad comics, but it's like, Japanese stuff is so interesting to me right now, because it's so severely one way or the other, you know, like the good stuff, 
is so good and so in-depth and so, you know, because it has those little moments and the little attention to detail and they spend the time to build up a story. But then on the other hand, if it's just like a silly slapstick, crazy-ass nonsense story, it is so crazy nonsense, <laughs> you know, way more than we would ever do. It's like the, the extremes go more extreme than we do, basically, to generalize. North American stuff, I feel like it's like, it's at a certain level of quality. It doesn't ever get too terrible, but it just doesn't ever get that great either. It's just, it's too generic and it's too bland and it can never, man, I mean, and there's still like, it's, it's sort of compelling. Like it's still weirdly fun to read this thing because it's, it's a manga. It's got this beautiful manga artwork and it's like still kind of a fun story despite the fact that it's so brutal. <laughs> Where I feel like if we did our version of this, it would just be dour. It would be, oh, drama, oh man, bullying and suicide. Uh, it'd be horrible. But man, one thing that really impressed me as this comic goes on is the deaf girl, she seemed, if anything, like, I thought she was kind of a, an anime trope because she's so beautific, you know? She's like, she's so calm and so, she just smiles all the time. She doesn't get angry, she just accepts what's happening and, and is easy to, for, like, quick to forgive people. And I thought it was just to make the bully kid seem like more of an asshole. That in order to make him seem really bad, they made the deaf girl almost angelic. Like, that she's such a good person and, like, so perfect. But as the story goes on, it turns out I really misread that character. She is not at all an anime trope. They really explain why she is that way. And it's because having grown up hearing disabled and just not, you know, missing so much out of every situation not able to read social cues and not sure what's going on most of the time. Like when she showed up to this elementary school, she just wanted to fit in and she wanted to be everyone's friend, but she just can't. She can't keep up with what's going on. When she starts getting bullied, she doesn't understand exactly what's happening or what's going on or why people are acting like this. She presumes it's her fault, you know, that like she's the one that caused problems. She came to this school and now she's making this thing that was fine before she got there now it's a big problem and she just kind of gently smiles at people because she's confused she doesn't know what's going on she doesn't want to make people mad and deeper down than that like the the father left the family because they had a deaf baby and he's like fuck this i didn't sign up for this i'm out of here so she's super guilty about that and as you dig deeper and deeper into her character, it's fucking crazy, man. It's so nuts of just like, she's like almost disassociated from reality because she spends so much time isolated and in her own little world and just things don't work the way she thinks they should work. Or she's acting a certain way and she's expecting a certain response from people and she gets this wildly different response and it just builds up and builds up until she like doesn't know Again, it's like she also is like, why am I alive? What am I doing here? This is fucked. Am I just making everything worse for everybody? And it's so crazy heartbreaking when there's this one chapter where it's just like her, her fantasy version of like, what if? What if her dad was still in the family? What if she got along with everyone at school? What if she had better relationship with her mom? And what if things were better for her sister that always gets teased and picked on because she's the sister of the deaf girl? 
And even in that like fantasy chapter, everyone's speech is distorted because even in her fantasy, she she can't, she doesn't know how words are supposed to be properly pronounced because she's never heard it. Even in her perfect world, she can't, she can't even fantasize about hearing things properly because that's just not available to her. I guess that's another reason I'm putting off watching the cartoon is it's like, yeah, there's no way. The cartoon, hopefully it'll be good, but it, it just, I mean, the, the depth they get into in these seven volumes of the comic, it's like you just can't do that in a two-hour cartoon. But man, oh, it is an emotionally taxing story. But again, not in a bad way. Not in the way that like, I feel like weathering with you is manipulating me and like trying to make me feel certain ways and it, all it's doing is making me annoyed and upset <laughs> how shitty it is. A silent voice is the exact opposite. It's like I had to take breaks and put it down and read it slow because because of the exact opposite. Like it earns its emotional beats so much that it's just like, fuck, I'm like getting just like pulled down. I guess in a way it is doing like what I was saying at the start about like what I'm hoping to do with my story about the rhino girl and just like the water raising and the water raising and just slowly drawing you into this weird world. That's what a silent voice does, where first it draws you into the weird world of this bully, and then it flips that around and draws you into the world of a totally ostracized social pariah, and then it draws you into the world of a deaf girl who, in her mind, is like ruining everyone else's life. And yeah, man, it's real good. <laughs> it's really fucking good. So all of that is basically Uncle Keith's fucking anime manga recommendation hour. But I did want to talk a little bit about my writing with all that. Now all that being said, all that groundwork being laid, it's amazing how, how much inspiration you can get from other people or how valuable it can be. Like the reason why I'm seeking out these things and searching so hard to find the next great thing isn't just to kill time or to be entertained or whatever. It's for fuel, you know? It's like I want inspiration to keep me going on my stuff. That I want, I want to find examples of someone else doing something that I consider great. And it's like, yeah, that's amazing. If someone else did it, I want to try to do it too. Man, the, uh, the lady who wrote A Silent Voice, I looked her up and she's like 10 years younger than me. And I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> You're so far ahead of me. Not that any of that matters, you know. Counting your age is kind of like counting your word count in your story. It's like it doesn't really matter. But it's not like she's 10 years younger than me and she just started. She's finished A Silent Voice. It's all done. She did it. She was in her 20s when she made that thing and it's fucking amazing. But yeah, reading A Silent Voice, I mean, I read it pretty slow. It probably took me about a month to make my way through all the volumes, just reading it a little bit here and a little bit there. And just just sinking so deep into this this world and particularly it's almost frustrating how light of a touch it has about these two main characters like the more time they spend together and the more it's clear that they're benefiting each other you know 
the guy has found this new purpose that he he can be valuable to someone else. He can help this girl kind of expand her life and open up and just like help her be a part of the world. And it's reciprocal, you know? Like they've they just like they've both given each other this new lease on life, this new excitement about life, this new reason to be alive. But the story really, really stays at a distance from from romance, you know? Like, a lot of the side characters are like, hey, man, they spend a lot of time together. They seem good for each other. This could be a thing. But to the those two characters, it, like, isn't. And it's just, it's like, you, you want it to be, though. It's weird. It's almost like uh, some Jane Austen shit or something. Some kind of courtly romance, if you can even call it that, because it's so at a distance. And that unrequitedness... That's another thing that it just brings you into this feeling and it just won't, it doesn't relent on that. It just puts you into this, this world, this little situation between the two of them and it's really just, it just coats you in it. So spending the month reading this story and just going back to this feeling over and over again, this fucking blew my mind. I never expected this to happen in a million years, but way fucking back. So I've talked about my first novel that failed, I did a podcast about that a little while ago. Back when I was like 20 years old, I was writing this serialized novel every week. I'd put up a chapter on my website. But then I would uh, take little divergences, like the, the short story that I put in uh, the very first episode of this podcast. That was from then. One week I just wrote this little short story instead as a quick little break from the novel. But the other thing I wrote back then that I thought was just done for forever, I didn't ever expect to get back to, was this unrequited romance story called Kirsten and Clover that was about these two high school girls that are best friends, but one of them is slowly realizing that her attachment to her friend is way stronger than she realized, and like, maybe she's gay, you know? Like, but what do you do? What do you do when you start to realize that you're falling for your best friend and your best friend is definitely not gay and is not going to like this, this situation. What do you do? And uh, I wrote about 20 chapters of that story of just unrequited love. That's all it is. It's just this weird, uncomfortable situation. You love being with this person, but you can never be honest with them. But I never quite finished it and I didn't quite know what to do with it and it's just been sitting in my, my slush folder ever since, you know? It's just, oh yeah, that story that I, I put quite a bit into, but I just never finished it. And then I kind of uh, came up with, like I was saying last time about my romance story in the Russian airport, how it can be useful, I find, to come up with ideas for a sequel, even if you're never going to make the sequel. You know, it can, like, inform what you're working on now. That's kind of what happened with Kirsten and Clover. I was like, I just didn't quite know how to finish it because it was just a downer. The only logical ending was Clover tells Kirsten that she's in love with her and Kirsten's going to say, I'm not down with this at all. Get the fuck out of my life. And it's just such a downer and so brutal. I never finished the story. I'm like, what did I think was going to happen at the end? You know, like, I don't like that. I don't want to just make a bad ending for no reason. Like, even like I was saying about the uh, Rhino Girl story, yeah, it's about crazy explosions and burning fucking diesel fuel and <laughs> being a crazy monster. But 
that positives can still come from that, that there's still an upside to that kind of crazy shit. There was no upside to Kirsten and Clover. It was just a sad story with a sad ending. And it's just not, that's not my deal. I don't really want to do that. Well, that's not entirely true. Some of my stories have just plain old sad endings. But for this story, I didn't want that. It just seemed cruel. It's like, why am I putting these characters through this? What is the point of this? But I started coming up with, just as the years went by, and I'm just thinking about stuff and taking notes, a potential sequel story. I was like, you know, maybe uh, I could pick up the story later where Clover has accepted that she's a lesbian and now has a lesbian girlfriend. And and I had a bunch of notes for that. It was weird. It was basically like about dating someone who's a lot older than you, like 10 years older, and who has a drinking problem. And it was like she was just trying to deal with Clover and Veronica this time. And it was Clover trying to deal with Veronica's drinking problem and the age imbalance between them. And it might have been an okay story, but again, what was the point of that? It's just depressing <laughs> and weird. But I had all those notes. I had the Kirsten and Clover notes and the Clover and Veronica notes, and they were just sitting around, but I just assumed I will never finish that story. I mean, it's so old at this point. It's like a different world, a different lifetime that I was working on that. And none of it ever came together, and that's that. But all of a sudden, like a bolt out of the blue, and there's no question that this was related to spending a month slowly reading A Silent Voice and just being being in that mindset of this unrequited romance. It's like the tumblers were just tumbling in the back of my mind and just like my subconscious was just clicking along. I didn't do any conscious thought about this. I was just... I remember the day I was sitting on a bench and I was trying to read a bit of a silent voice, but then mosquitoes started biting my hands, so I had to move on. So I was just walking along and I was thinking about a silent voice, just thinking about that, that, that pressure of the unrequited romance, of the unusual romantic pairing. And all of a sudden, it just like, just flashed, like the kind of lightning bolt thing that you just pray will happen. It happened where just all of a sudden it occurred to me I could use my little sequel story, Veronica and Clover, just as a framing device to finally finish Kirsten and Clover, where just the idea was one of my chapters in Veronica and Clover was that they're at a house party and Veronica gets way too drunk and Clover's got to deal with it. But Kirsten shows up there and they haven't seen each other in a pretty long time, but she's at this house party. And that was just a chapter in the story, but I realized I could just take that, take all the other ideas I had for Veronica and Clover, some of them are kind of cool, but whatever. Throw them away, just get rid of those. Just have the house party. Veronica and Clover are at this house party, and Kirsten comes in. And Clover's like, holy shit, I haven't seen her in so long, and like, just that horrible, nervous feeling of like someone that you had a big falling out with and you haven't seen them since and it's like oh fuck but here we are here we are in this this social situation how is this gonna go what's this gonna be like and that's the introduction of flashback Kirsten and Clover and then I can tell the whole story of Kirsten and Clover and it can have that bad ending it can have the ending that was inevitably going to happen you know the ending that I didn't want for just the story because it would have been too depressing. Now I can do that because it's not the end anymore. You know, it's just, here's the story of us. Here's the story of Kirsten and Clover. Here's what happened. 
here's why we had this falling out. Here's why I haven't talked to her in so long. Because I had my lesbian awakening and my best friend was in the crosshairs of it and did not, was not comfortable with that at all. And then just as I walked home that night, it didn't come to me right away, but within that evening, just listening to, I just, usually I listen to podcasts while I walk around, but I was like, today I'm just listening to music and just imagining. Okay, now imagine you're at that house party. You see the girl from your past. We've had the whole flashback. Here's, the, here's what happened. Now what's the ending? And I came up with just the ending of, now it's the end of the night at that house party. Veronica is passed out on a couch somewhere, so Clover can't leave. It's kind of based on this, uh, when I first moved to Vancouver, I went to this, this house party with uh, all these Irish students, I guess. I guess they were students, or maybe they were here on a work program. But all these Irish kids lived in this house, and it was just this huge ass house, and at the end of the night, we all just kept hanging out. Like, when the party was over, but it's like, don't worry, just hang out, it's this giant house. That kind of vibe. At the end of the night, pretty much everyone has left, but Clover can't leave because Veronica's passed out on a couch. So Clover's just cleaning up, just picking up cans and stuff. And then Kirsten is still there too. And they can have a conversation and have a, they can reconcile. You know, the, the first little buds can bloom of their friendship coming back. And then that's it. That's going to be the whole story. And it just felt so... It's like, holy fuck. I literally wrote that story in like 2001. And it's just been sitting there, unfinished. And then those weird ideas for a sequel that were just kind of half-formed. And like, what even... Like, what am I even trying to do with this? I don't know. And I'd completely given up on it. Like, this is just a lost thing. And then for it all to just come together in one evening, I'm just like, holy fuck, holy shit. So I just went through all my notes and I arranged them like, okay, here's the intro party. Here's the middle part, which is just the actual story. Here's the ending. I got the, the perfect final moment, the perfect final dialogue, the perfect final line of the story. It's all there. And it's this combination, I guess, of being inspired by someone else's work so valuable, such like fuel for the soul, like how important it is to to get spiritual renewal from other people. And it's so hard to do. It's so hard to find exceptional things and things that inspire you. But when you do, it's like the most valuable thing in the world. So there was that. And then on the other hand, it's like, it's not like I just came up with this idea out of whole cloth. I did do a lot of work in the past. I got a lot of notes and a lot of, I was sifting through them the other day. And I'm like, man, I don't even remember writing half of this stuff and the Veronica and Clover stuff in particular gets so dark and so weird and I'm just like, what was I thinking? There's no way I'm using this shit. But that I had the raw materials, you know, that I did do all this work in the past and then I couldn't figure out how to stick the landing. But I guess that's what I'm learning is like, yeah, you never know. Just do the work. Just do the work because you never know when it's going to pay off. I did so much seemingly useless writing on this old story and then it just sat there. But all that stuff paid off now. And digging through other people's work, you know, it's like, okay, well, I fucking fought to try to get into this one guy and it didn't work. But then through that, I found this other girl and her shit is amazing. And the two things came together. Like it's, it's hard sometimes. I feel like I want to be able to wrap up these podcasts. Like there's a little lesson, like there's a little thing I could just put on a fridge magnet 
and it's just hard to do. Writing's too abstract. I can't do that. But it's just, I guess it's just that the, the value of, the dual value of doing work and working on stuff even if it doesn't seem like it's coming together, even if it seems like it might never come together, and the value of continuing to sift through other people's stuff and fight through all the stuff that doesn't work for you to find the stuff that does because man it's it's like a crazy lightning bolt when those two things converge when new inspiration converges with old work that you were stuck on and then and yeah now Kirsten and Clover now it's just the grind you know there's that big exciting thing but now it's like okay I've laid it all out chronologically got a big outtakes folder of like here's all the weird notes I wrote that I'm never gonna use that actually weren't useful. But that one party scene with Veronica and Clover, that's what I needed. That's what I needed just to wrap up the original story, to frame the original story. Ah, and it's gonna be so, it's so good. Like I, I was so pleased with the endings. Again, it's like I tried to make it not melodrama, like try to make it earned, try to tiptoe my way toward these two people becoming friends again and I'm going to try my best to make it as good as I can and man a silent voice is good it's so good fuck it's good (laughs) all right so there's that episode I feel way better man maybe it's because I slammed that big coffee but I think it is just just talking about this stuff that is you know the stuff I care about the stuff I'm interested in it's a great way to get your mind off being sick I still sort of feel it in my head a little bit. I feel a little swimmy, but it really takes your mind off stuff. However, I do not have a song to play. Let me see, let me see what I got here in uh, my current music folder. (laughs) Perfect. Well, let's just do We Used To Be Friends by uh, the Dandy Warhols. Because Kirsten and Clover used to be friends. Can't fucking beat that. All right, thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time on my abstract journey (laughs) of writing shit or whatever. Oh, for anybody who made it this deep, man, another uh, bonus to uh, this little Instagram I started at NovelPod, where I just take a picture every day of wherever I was writing, is, uh, you know, I really never did the like, comment, subscribe thing with this podcast of like, hey, fucking go write me a review, email me here, Twitter here, blah, blah, blah. I never really solicited um, feedback from people, you know? So I get it sometimes. Sometimes people go to my website and dig up my my info and send me a message. But I've been getting a lot more of that with Instagram just because it's just easier. It's just easier to send a message. And, and it's, just been, it's just been cool, you know, just hearing from people that like this podcast. And it's like amazingly different walks of life. So many different types of people and different types of careers. And it's just like, wow, this is really cool. I guess the one thing that draws us all together is we're all just trying to write something awesome. So good luck. Good luck on your journey. Keep it up. Here's We Used to Be Friends by the Dandy Warhols. Adios.
used to be friends.